This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today we have an episode that's slightly out of sync with the other uh, episodes that I had planned. But things happen sometimes and, and you have to just adapt. Today with me, I have Dr. Tom Clonan. You are on several levels equipped to help me understand what's going on. You are security advisor, security analyst for 15 years, 10 with the Irish Times, now ongoing with the journal. You were in the Defence Forces, a captain yourself, and you are a lecturer in TU Dublin. So can you help us to understand what is going on in Afghanistan? Yeah, so it's been it's been a very dramatic uh, couple of weeks. Um, so essentially, I've been in the security and defence space for over 30 years and 15 years as Irish Times security analyst. Yeah. And now with the journal, um, I'm a columnist and a security analyst. And I'm, I think I'm also the oldest person in there. Really? <laughs> which is great. Uh, All that acquired knowledge. It's yeah, important. Yeah. So as an army officer in a previous life, I served in the Middle East and I also uh spent some time as an election supervisor in Bosnia in the former Yugoslavia just at the end of that war uh, in 1996. So I have I suppose of experience of conflict here because I was in the army before the ceasefires uh, in the Middle East and in the former Yugoslavia and you know now as a a parent and as a kind of grown up uh, you know I reflect back on that experience and it, it gives, it helps me to understand the awful trauma of what's happening in Afghanistan as as we speak. And, you know, I think the media here, you know, despite all the challenges of COVID, uh, the media have been very good at, you know, covering this and, and trying to get a handle on it. But this is the biggest story in the global war on terror since 9-11. This, this is a very, very dramatic um, outcome for, for the United States, but particularly for Afghans. Can I tell you my perception of what's happening and then you can correct me because I think that might be helpful. So my understanding is that the Taliban are a religious and political group, like a a viable organisation. You know, they they want Sharia law, but they are a group and they but they sort of protect and and hide Al-Qaeda, which is a terrorist organisation. And after 9-11, when the Twin Towers happened, America went into Afghanistan to kill Osama bin Laden and to stop Al-Qaeda and thereby had to sort of also get involved in stopping the Taliban because they were hiding them. And that has been gone ongoing, even though Osama bin Laden has been killed for like a decade, that has been ongoing until um, the American troops were instructed by Joe Biden to pull out of Afghanistan, to leave. And that gave space for the Taliban to rise up again and take control of the country. Yeah, you you pretty much have it there. I mean, so just so that listeners understand, um, the Taliban are Sunni Muslims. They're they're from the the, the Pashtun uh, tribe mostly, um, and they they subscribe to a very extreme form of Sunni Islam. It's called Salafism or Wahhabism, and it it's it's so extreme. Like most Muslim scholars and imams would would actually describe it as you know it's toxic it's not islam it's it's a perverse interpretation of islam and sharia law it's it's very extreme so the taliban al qaeda islamic state are all on the same page as it were okay ideologically philosophically they reject the values of the west and um, they declare anybody who's not 
a Salafist Wahhabi Muslim like themselves um, to be uh, a kufar or an infidel, somebody who doesn't okay. deserve to live. And, you know, it's, it's not... So I'm very careful the language I use. It's Islamist extremism. They're not Muslims because what they what they practice and what they preach is a kind of a it's a, a very very strange, perverse, toxic interpretation of the Quran. Okay. And its principal targets are women and girls, and right. it, it, that can't be under under emphasised. So Al Qaeda. You know, they, they planned and launched the terror attacks on uh, the United so States. They are, but they are, Al-Qaeda are not the Taliban. No, but they're all in the same... It's kind They're of all like, from the same tribe. They all have the same beliefs. But like, it, is the Taliban... It's like Burger King, McDonald's. It's, you know, and I don't mean to be... To, to be but are the Taliban legitimate? Like, are they a political party? Like that could be elected if democracy was a thing. No, because they there's no elections. They've they've taken power. At, so they at, are at, a terrorist at, organization at gunpoint. Yeah. So everybody lists them as even even the Russians who've done a deal with them still list them as a terrorist organization okay, okay. and have done so since 2003. But so Al Qaeda, yeah, the, the 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 two principles were Osama bin Laden, who's everybody's probably heard of, and then a guy called Ayman al Zawahiri, who's really ju- just the most. Uh, extreme, radical, violent person. He was an, an Egyptian, a surgeon, medical doctor. They were both effectively thrown out of their countries because their ideas were just so off the off the scale. Okay. Um, they were expelled to Africa, but they became involved in the murder of some children in in, a, in an absolutely appalling set of circumstances. That it's, it's actually very disturbing. And in turn, they were then thrown out. Um, and the only country that would take them at the time was was Afghanistan under Taliban rule. Uh, and from Afghanistan, they were in the eastern part of uh, Afghanistan on the border with Pakistan, near the Tora Bora mountain range. They set up training camps and all the most radicalised uh, jihadis from all around the world flocked to Afghanistan. Because, and this What's is gonna, a jihadi? Uh, a person who wants to wage war against okay. Western values or non-Muslims. Okay. So... They set up their training camps because they had this physical sanctuary provided by the Taliban and then they carried out the 9-11 attacks. They got Mohammed Atta and others to fly the planes into the Twin Towers. The United States, uh, it was very traumatic for them, an attack on home soil. It was like Pearl Harbor version 2-0. So they decided to invade. Can I just ask, at the time when 9-11 happened, was America at war with them? Or did this come totally out of the blue? Yeah, so this was... Well, the United States would say this was an unprovoked attack. Okay. Actually, Osama bin Laden declared war, his fatwa on the United States because of um, Israeli actions in Lebanon, of all places, right, and, okay. and, a, and a, a massacre of uh, Muslims in, in a little um, in a little town, um, in, actually near where the Irish battalion were okay. back in 1996. So this was the cause of, of his extreme views on the United States. Um a massacre at Kwana. So 117 men, women and children were killed in, a, in an Israeli airstrike. And just by, by sheer coincidence, I was actually there uh, wow. at, the, at the time, as were hundreds of other Irish soldiers. So, you know, and this is the same, you know, the, the ancient story of, of history, you know, violence begets violence. So Osama bin Laden sees these images from Lebanon beamed all around the world of Were men. these also, is, was Osama bin Laden Sunni as well? No. Yeah, they're yeah. all. They're all. And were these people who were killed in Lebanon? No, actually, no. They were Shia Muslims. 
Okay. Um, but it didn't matter because as far as... Uh, like was he just looking for an excuse or did he actually... Was this well, y- yeah, I mean, this was just one more provocation from okay. his perspective in a long series. So he declared his fatwa in the United States. They attacked the Twin Towers and, and the other targets, the Pentagon and elsewhere. So the United States under George Bush exactly 20 years ago mm-hmm. um, decided, OK, we've got to take the physical sanctuary, you know, the territory away from Al-Qaeda. And the only way to do that is to invade Afghanistan and get rid of the Taliban because the Taliban... As long as the Taliban are ruling yeah, they're, Al-Qaeda They're fellow travellers. So Taliban, Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, Al-Shabaab, Jamai Islamia, all of these radical Sunni extremists, they all share the same philosophy ideology, methodology as the Taliban. Okay. Only the Taliban is the biggest gang And they're only at the in moment. Afghanistan, They're right? only in Afghanistan at the moment. But their centre of gravity was in Pakistan, neighbouring Pakistan. So okay. Americans invade, get rid of the Taliban. And the Americans invaded Afghanistan with a really small number of troops, just about 2,000, okay. bizarrely. And it took them two months, that's all, to get the Taliban out. Is that... But they had, is that is that success? Yeah, that was a, a really dramatic, startling success. But what happened when they went in was that tens of thousands of militia um, from the Hazara tribes from the Northern Alliance joined the Americans to get rid of the Taliban because okay. the Taliban were so brutal. They were so violent. And how long had the Taliban been ruling Afghanistan? At they that had point? been there since 1996. So they had had five, five years, years in power. And from that time, some people will remember the awful images of, you know, they carried out public executions of women yeah. and beatings, stonings, mutilations. Um, so they never really. They, so that's why I say they're not a legitimate political organisation okay. because they, they held power at gunpoint. And so through, they have governed, but not. Yeah, not by consent. Not by consent. By, yeah. by force. So they were kicked out. They went across the border into Pakistan and they've been waiting now for two decades. Donald Trump did a deal with the Taliban last year in Doha and agreed to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan if the Taliban would, you know, negotiate with the other power brokers in the region and agree not to be violent and not to do the things that they are absolutely going to do in the next weeks and months. So, sorry, when the Taliban, so it took them two months to get the Taliban out of Afghanistan, back onto the border with Pakistan. Mm. That was in like 2011, let's say. 2001. Sorry, 2001, the 11th of so, yeah, after, yeah, yeah, after 9-11. So who has been governing since then? So the Americans have had various regimes like Hamid uh, Karzai, was, I think was the first US-backed president in Afghanistan after the Taliban were uh, ousted. So it's all been very much like yeah, and the it, US are kind of keeping yeah, things. But the US, in fairness to the United States and her allies, including Ireland, because Irish troops have been on the ground in Afghanistan since 2002. And, you know, not a lot of Irish people realise that or understand Doing that. Doing what? Peacekeeping? It, no, peace enforcement, because it's, it, okay. it's, it's a UN mandated NATO led mission and US led so the Irish were there for uh, from 2002 to 2016 and what does if the Taliban aren't in there what peace needs so to be kept, enforced it, it, it was kind of like nation building okay but the Taliban mounted an insurgency from across the border in Pakistan right, which okay. lasted for 17 years so there has always been fighting so spontaneous bombs shoot like roadside bombs assassinations uh, offensives every year they call them the spring offensives where they come across the border over the mountains from Pakistan from the tribal areas and from the northwest frontier and would attack um, NATO and local Afghan forces so okay. it was a very bloody civil war about about 120,000 
Afghan soldiers and police were killed in that civil war or in that insurgency, along with about 50,000 uh, civilians. civilians, men, women and children. But uh, so but to put that in comparison, this, when the Soviets were there, uh, some estimates are as high as two million civilians were killed. When was that? That would have been in the 1980s. OK. Um, were the Taliban an issue there? Uh, no. So, so I think the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan in many ways created the Taliban. OK. And here's where it gets really complicated. So the Americans funded, armed and equipped the Mujahideen to fight the Soviets. And then the Mujahideen morphed into the Taliban. So basically, the Soviets were the communists and America saw them or communism as the enemy. So they were like, hey, Taliban, or the earlier iteration of the Taliban, the we're going to... Mujahideen, we're going to fund you and give you weapons and you can help us to fight back these communists. Mm-hmm. So the communists leave. But then they have all these guns. And the Taliban take over at gunpoint. The Mujahideen morph into the Taliban and the Taliban take over in 1996. So it took them about four or five years to fight their civil war. They got in charge and invited Al-Qaeda in because no, no other country in the world would take Ayman al-Zahiri or Osama bin Laden. So the stage is now set. The Americans come in fight the Taliban. The Taliban go across the border into Pakistan and they've been fighting this uh, insurgency for 20 years. And then last week, when Joe Biden announced that US troops would be gone by the 31st of August, the US military did a very strange thing. Okay. Um, after Joe Biden, Biden made his announcement, they, Bagram was the biggest uh, military air base in Afghanistan, probably in the whole of Central Asia, with hundreds of US uh, fighter aircraft, attack helicopters and so on. The Americans, without telling anybody, without telling their NATO partners in Afghanistan, overnight in July, they just abandoned Bagram air base. Well, is and Bagram like a town? Like, is it almost... It's, it's near a town, but they, so the, this big, huge military complex was called Bagram Air Why Base. It, and where did they leave to? Back to uh, America? Yeah, started to leave the country. And the only thing that gave the Afghan army and police the kind of the edge over the Taliban was air air support from the Americans. And when the Americans withdrew their air support from the Afghans, they panicked. So that's why the Taliban were able to roll up all the provincial capitals and get to Kabul uh, over the weekend, I think it was the 7th, 8th of August. And the Americans thought that they had about three weeks to get everybody out, but it ended up, you know, uh, the Taliban advance was so rapid that they ended up with like less than 72 hours. And that's why we're in the situation we're in. Suddenly, the Taliban, um, not only did they take the provincial capitals and all of the Afghan positions, but they also took all of the weapons and military equipment that the Americans had given the Afghans. So they're talking about millions of rounds of ammunition, uh, automatic rifles, so the artillery system. Yeah, the Ameri- had, they had been setting up. They had been, you know, developing a, an Afghanistan an Afghani army, like yeah. a legitimate thing. Yeah. But when the Taliban came in, was it that they couldn't fight them? They didn't want to? They were too overwhelmed? They, they were spooked because of the la- lack the, of support. The, the sudden withdrawal of air air support by and the Americans. what was the th- thinking behind that? I think the Americans just want to get out of there, get out of Dodge, go home. They've been there for 20 years, cost them a trillion dollars. Have they? But the trillion dollars has been setting up this, like p- yeah. giving these militia. And, and now the Taliban have it. And this is one of the things. So in the week before the the Taliban took Kabul 
they sent two delegations. They sent one to Moscow. How many to, people are in the Taliban, first of all, sorry? Uh, at the moment, they have about, it's estimated that they have about 85,000 oh, uh, fighters on the ground in uh, Afghanistan. But they'd have many more in, in Pakistan where they've been holding out for the last there. two decades. Sorry, they went to Moscow. So they went to Moscow. They met Vladimir Putin and Sergei Lavrov. And they said, look, um, we're, we're, we want to be friends with Russia. When we take over, we're going to have a stable regime. Um, we won't allow any Islamist attacks across the border into Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan. These are all s- former Russian satellite states. Mm-hmm. So the Russians actually conducted a massive military exercise right up onto the border with Afghanistan on the week that they took Kabul to send a signal to the uh, Taliban. OK, we'll deal. We'll have pragmatic relations with you even though we consider you terrorists, as long as you don't come across the border and interfere with our stability in the region. But Russia didn't think to give anyone else a heads up on what Well, well why would they? <laughs> I mean, I they've, been, they've done, they've done, they did the same thing in Syria and Iraq when they had the opportunity, when the Americans left there okay. or, or started to wind down their operations. So in the same week, they sent a delegation to China. Uh, the Chinese foreign minister met the co-founder of the Taliban. I mean, these are extraordinary developments. These are as dramatic, if not more dramatic, than the actual taking of Afghanistan. Yeah, and the so, politics behind it is like so, someone from the Taliban. So China, would, China have said, um, you, you, you know, what you do in Afghanistan is your business, but do not allow your fighters to cross the border into China, uh, into our province where you have the the Uyghurs in yes. China. These are the uh, ethnic Muslim uh, Chinese citizens in the in the the Uyghur Autonomous Region. And in addition, the Chinese offered them a carrot. They said as part of their foreign policy, um, they want to open up what they call the China-Pakistan Corridor to give China access down into the Arabian Sea and the Persian Gulf. And to do that, they have to go through Afghanistan. So they've said, we will be your partners in the region. We'll invest, you know, millions and millions of dollars into Afghanistan, into roads, infrastructure, help you to get all your minerals and your products out. Um, as long as you don't export Islamist terrorism into China and as long as you keep keep everything, uh, keep the lid on everything. So this has provided the Taliban, you know, the biggest gang in Afghanistan, the opportunity to hold Afghanistan at gunpoint with the support of China, Russia. Two of the biggest powers. China. And it gives China and Russia... Uh, huge influence in Central Asia. Now, but does that mean that like in the fight against terrorism, like we've just lost two, two of the big parents, like two of the sensible... Yeah, so this is why this, this, these weeks have been so significant because the Americans invaded Iraq and they destabilised Syria and the idea was that by using brute military force, a preemptive strike that they would change the power structures in the Middle East and that America would be the dominant influence. But instead, they completely destabilised Iraq and Syria. Islamic State was created. Millions of refugees have been trying to get across the Mediterranean. And now Russia, Iran, uh, and uh, they they now control all of the Middle East from uh, Tehran in Iran, straight through to Baghdad in Iraq, to Damascus in Syria and Beirut, in Lebanon, on, on, yeah, with with their allies, the Iranians, and you know, and this is all. And the, now they have China too. Yeah. So this is these are the unintended consequences of 
America's military intervention in Afghanistan. What were they trying to do apart from get well, rid of bin you, Laden? You know, I mean, well, there's two viewpoints. I mean, what the United States would say is we were trying to plant the seeds of, you know, modern Western democracy. We were trying to empower... But did they want the seeds of modern Western democracy planted in them? I mean, obviously this extremism is not acceptable, but like not everyone has to live by Western values, surely, well, as long I, as human I suppose rights... This, this is some of the learning. I mean, you know, the, the British tried to do it. The, the Soviets tried to impose their system. The, the British tried to impose their imperial system. It failed. The Soviet attempt failed. The American attempt has failed. Now, cynics would say that, uh, or, you know, a more radical view would be that the United States got involved in Syria and Iraq and in Afghanistan, not because of human rights or the empowerment of women and girls, but because of access to oil and minerals and, you know, global geostrategy and regional influence. But the truth is probably somewhere in between. But I, I've no doubt that the Americans, because while the Americans were there um, with, with the support from the Germans, the Danish, the Irish, the Dutch, you know, the French, infant mortality rates lowered. Um, millions of women and girls went to school for the very, very first time. But even before the Taliban took over last week, um, 87 percent of uh, Afghan women are illiterate. 90% of Afghan women, this is before the Taliban take over again, experience domestic and sexual abuse in the home. Forced marriage, uh, arranged marriages for girls as young as 12. Child brides, yeah. Now, that's a euphemism for abduction and rape and and very often then the murder of, of young girls. Um, so it, the, the Taliban taking over is going to com- worsen that situation. Women won't, not, be, won't be allowed out of the home. They won't be allowed. But they to have said, haven't they? Like there was a picture and I don't know if it's just that they've gotten better at PR, but like they have shown women. Now they are covered in the burqa in school and that they allow women doctors and, and that women TV anchors are still allowed. They just have to be covered up in a way that they didn't. But is that just PR? It's just PR. And, and the awful thing about that is what they want to do is calm the population. They want to suppress public disorder, protests and any resistance so that they can tighten their grip on and tighten their control. They're telling all the um, government employees, you know, don't be afraid, come into work um, as you did before. So they want to get the power stations to continue working all of the infrastructure. But you'll find in the next couple of months that as soon as the Taliban have a handle on how everything works and, you know, they understand the mechanic, they will start to cull these uh, workers uh, of anybody that was associated with the government or protest movement. And women's, I mean, even as I was coming in here, I heard an interview with a, a woman from Afghanistan saying that actually the female television presenters are beginning to disappear already. Uh, you know, this is only within weeks. So, but the 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 idea that that we're the new kind Taliban is an is a very crude propaganda attempt to just calm the population down, so that they can then really tighten their their grip. And and it's and and the primary target of Taliban's aggression are women uh, and girls. This is how they control by terror. They terrorize families, entire communities. It's exactly the same set of tactics that were used by Islamic State in Syria and Iraq. You know, mass rape, systematic mass rape of Yazidi women, Shia Muslims, anybody that did not fit the ethnic and, uh, you know, Islamo-fascist ideology of these really extreme people. 
while I have you, I want to tell you about another podcast that is on our network. It's called Potterooney. And it is Joe Rooney, who you may know from Father Ted or his endless career of, of, of comedy. And he's a really interesting guy. And his podcast is basically an interesting guy interviewing interesting people. He has a long career where he's met interesting people, characters, people he's worked with and he's going to interview a different person every week, talk to them about their experience, their careers. It's a really nice one to just throw into your ears, go for a walk and listen to two great people chatting. Give it a listen. Hello, Joe Rooney here. Back in 2015, I recorded my first Potter Rooney and since then I've been chatting to people that I meet throughout my travels here and there all over the world including Sean Locke, Mary Coughlin, Frank Kelly, Joanne McAnally, Owen Colgan, Shazia Mertza, Aidan Gillen and Kautia Reardon, but loads of people you'd never heard of who have very interesting tales to tell, including the sadly no longer with us Boston-based comedian Barry Crimmins, who led a crusade against images of child abuse on the internet, Tracy Carroll, whose daughter Willow has the highest grade of cerebral palsy, Drogheda Homeless Aid, Christine Volset, a Norwegian singer-documentary maker who... Ended up hanging out with the young lads in inner city Dublin and riding bareback on a horse through the city streets. All these very interesting tales to tell and all you have to do is skip the first six minutes of me talking rubbish. That's Potteroni. I think I know the answer, but like what is the sense of safety for LGBTQ people? That's it's, yeah, that's, they're all, I mean... Same as women. Yeah, Islamic State had an appalling... Um, campaign of persecution of the LGBTQI community and they had a particularly cruel um, so they they really were Islamic State were involved in you know ritual humiliation torture and killing of of you know beautiful young gay men uh, throwing them from high buildings there's, there's some interpretation they have from the Quran that a person who's gay must be thrown from a high building um, they're very, very disturbing images. But this is something that also happens in Iran, and it ha- it w- was happening in Afghanistan, uh, and will will this this the, was, they'll was take that, this up again? Like, was this in the last five years, or as America has been there in the last period, was it becoming more relaxed with LGBTQ plus? But or was or was it always sort of not? That? Uh, I I don't know. Okay. I mean, but certainly um, NATO and. The NGOs, all the aid agencies that are have been working into Afghanistan up until now, would say that there has been a greater empowerment of of all sorts of groups uh, within yeah. Afghanistan whilst they were there. But um, if the the Taliban will, you know, evidence for future behaviour is based on past behaviour. Their regime from ninety six to two thousand one was really extreme. I mean, the windows of the ground floors of all buildings had to be painted over or shuttered so in you know so that no woman could look out. Or no one could look in and accidentally see a woman. Um, you know, girls and women weren't allowed to go out unaccompanied. So if a woman um, had, if her husband was killed or if he was missing or imprisoned and she needed medical attention, she wouldn't be able to leave the house to get it. And there are lots of stories of women who, you know, uh, were suffering uh, illnesses who who tried to go to seek medical help and would have been intercepted by the religious police and beaten. Uh, and it's just the most extraordinarily bestial regime. But the purpose of it, though, is is to use fear, 
physical violence and intimidation to control a population of 35 million people. And their aim is to get back to this very, I'm going to use the word pure, but that's not the right, you know, this very pure version of the Quran that they have interpreted yeah. where, yeah. you know. Which, which just happens to give them control and of power. the population. Okay. And they in, then in turn can control the, you know, the assets, uh, the natural resources and the wealth of Afghanistan. That's what they're interested in. And can I talk to you about, I listened to a podcast um, during the weekend about um, Afghan people who, as you said there, assisted the Americans. So like that could have been either they joined the American army to fight against the Taliban or they happened to serve food in the army base or they did the laundry or they worked, you know, they in any way assisted or were you know, benevolent towards mm. the US. They'd be seen as collaborators. They're now seen as infidels. And these are the people who are desperately trying to get out of the country because they're going to be the first to go. Well, they'll be the first to be targeted. Um, well, apart from women, they're, they'll be next in line to be targeted. But they might not necessarily kill women just for being around, but they might kill infidels. They might oppress oh, they will, the but, women. But, but, but you, the, the savagery of, of these people, I mean, look, uh, one of the awful things that emerged during the, you know, if if a woman or a girl, a teenage girl, now I have a daughter who's 17 and, you know, I find it even difficult to describe this, but if a young girl refuses to participate in a, in a forced marriage, which is rape, um, they have a tradition of cutting the girl's nose and ears off, you know, to, you know, mutilate, mutilate them as, as a message to other girls. I mean, the, and in that scenario, like 80% of the suicides in Afghanistan uh, at the moment, even before the Taliban get get a hold, are by women. And I think it's the only country in the world where the majority of deaths by suicide are f- from women. Because it, it's just, this is the most so appalling news story. And, 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 and it was the same with the Islamic State's caliphate. You know, it, it set back the rights and empowerment of women What's and girls by, by 100 years. Just what, so... The Taliban called their new country an emirate. Okay. Um, Islamic State called their regime in Syria and Iraq a, a caliphate. Okay. Emirates, not to be mistaken with the actual Arab Emirates. Emirates, yeah. Um, so, so the you know it's it's a very bleak situation at the moment. What's uh, going to happen? Like, how do, do we? The only hope, Stephanie. I mean, I just hope um, that. You know, we've had 20 years of people experiencing a system different to that offered by the Taliban. Yes, like there were girls who two and weeks ago were in school. Yeah, and there's a, there are millions and millions of young Afghan uh, women uh, and young men who don't subscribe to these views. And I'm, I'm just hoping that maybe the seeds of, of resistance have been sown and that at some point, um, you know, this, this will force the Taliban um, to um, share power, to compromise, and, and how and f- can you resist if they're going to cut off your nose and your ears? Like they're not reasonable people to be negotiated with, mm-hmm. and we've lost Amer- America. Are not going to go back in? Well, I, I think people have, should bear in mind that the the principal targets of the violence of groups like Islamic State, um, Al Qaeda, Al Shabaab, Boko Haram, Taliban. The principal targets have been ordinary Muslims. And throughout the world and in Muslim, I don't think there is support for, they're horrified by this. But isn't that also something that goes, like if they're 
and this is awful but I think that there is a sentiment of like they're just Afghanistan state based they're only killing each other we don't have to get involved let's see how they do like there's definitely like some of Joe Biden's rhetoric is like leave them to it maybe it won't be as bad as okay. it was 20 well, years ago well that, that's a very good point so people listening now will probably remember the summers of 2014 2015 2016 in Europe when we had terrorist attack after terrorist attack the Bataclan theatre siege the Christmas market attacks I think in in one of those summers uh, something like 857 people were killed across Europe in, in, in different terrorist attacks across continental Europe when the United States and Russia and Iran and their Syrian allies when they destroyed Islamic State those attacks disappeared almost overnight. So in 2017 and 2018, something like 12 people were killed in mm-hmm. terror attacks. Now that they have a physical base again, um, it you it's it's a certainty that Al Qaeda, uh, Islamic State, will have a physical refuge, and those kinds of terror attacks will begin to increase so again. So they're not going to just stick frequency. to Afghanistan. They no, I, I don't think so. Wage it, war on the West. And again, how do we know this? Well, we know this because this is what's happened in the past. Do you think there'll be another world war? Um, well, I think. I mean, that that's a whole a, a whole different question. I think I think in our lifetime, um, we will see uh, a major conventional conflict. Uh, yeah, <laughs> You're just I, trying to say I, it in a less yeah, scary way. I, I mean, look, NATO, the United States, it's 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 political, diplomatic, and moral authority has been completely eroded um, particularly during the the Trump administration but what's happened in the Middle East in Syria, Iraq and now in Afghanistan means that the United States capacity to project power and military force it's understood by the big powers like Russia, China others, it doesn't really They they lost that war. It it won't last for long and it's not really effective so what have they to be afraid of? Do you think that like So uh, so to answer your question Oh sorry go on Russia has become emboldened on Europe's borders. Yeah. And in the German white paper on defence, which looks out to 2030, Angela Merkel wrote the introduction. And she says in it that for the first time since 19, the 1940s, um, Russia's, or Europe's borders have been changed at gunpoint by invading forces. And f- for now, Germany sees the principal threat against peace is a land invasion of Germany. This is extraordinary. I mean, this is written by Angela Merkel in the German white paper on defence, the current one. So, you know, we are entering a period of global, a shift in global power relations. We're seeing, I wouldn't say it's the end of the United States being a superpower, but I think it's going to change the way that America behaves in the world. I think America may retreat somewhat and pursue this policy of America first. And that means that Europe has to renegotiate its relationship with Russia um, and with China. Uh, and, and that's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of Irish people and for our diaspora. Um, and in terms of, well, because, I mean, there, there are Irish citizens being held against their will in, in China. And the Irish government is powerless to, you know, have them returned. Yeah. Um, you know, what's happened in in Ukraine 
and in the Baltic states, the increase in interference attacks on our health service this year by what was it, Wizard Spider? Yeah. And the gangs, um, you know, <laughs> resident in St. Petersburg. Um, the interference of the undersea cables. I'm going to sound like I'm a tinfoil yeah. hat conspiracy. No, no, no. I'm but there are, there are 19 undersea cables around Ireland's coast that carry all the fibre optic cables to, uh, to the United States from Europe. We control 33% of Europe's data in our data centres. And last week, uh, a Russian uh, ship was intercepted by the Irish Naval Service in our territorial waters, a, a ship that was designed to carry little submersible vehicles and it is believed that they were, you know, surveilling and looking at the undersea cables. fiber optic cables. So, you know, we're just we're, we're entering into a period of instability. Uh, and, you know, NATO, it, it the coherence of NATO was seriously undermined by by the Trump administration. He's the first president of the United States who said on the record, we won't fight for our NATO partners. Biden. Uh, Trump. Donald Trump. Right. And the fact that under Joe Biden's watch, the Americans withdrew their forces without yeah. consulting their NATO partners. I thought Joe Biden... That, that's a bit of a shock. And the other thing about this, Stephanie, is the principal, if you like, linchpin in the relationship between Europe and the United States has always been Britain. And, and Britain gone. has just left. So if you were to invent a weapon to undermine the West and the transatlantic relationship between Europe and the United States, what would that weapon look like? It would look like Brexit. And it would look like Donald Trump. So we've just been unlucky uh, in in some of the events that have taken place. Can I ask about Biden, right? Because I thought I didn't enjoy Trump's tenure. I didn't enjoy him um, at all. But I thought that Joe Biden with Kamala Harris by his side, I thought it was going to be like a more liberal, a more tolerant, a more inclusive. I guess maybe I was a bit naive, just a little bit more Disney than it had mm. been. And mm-hmm. I can't really understand his decision. Like, did did they, did no one advising him say, "Look, if you do this, it's going to cause absolute chaos," uh, or is it just that they're yeah. like America first and we yeah. need our troops back? I think there was a miscalculation here. I okay. mean, I, I no nobody predicted this. that the. The, the, that the, the Taliban, Taliban would be walking through Kabul by lunchtime on on Sunday, you know, after taking uh, Kandahar on Friday. So, Joe, I think Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on their worst day are many times better than Donald Trump on his best day. Donald Trump was the very expression of patriarchy, misogyny, just the worst. Uh, the United, even if you look at Joe Biden's on the record commentary since this thing has started, he's available for comment. He's answering questions about what has happened and he's coherent. He's saying we'd, we'd always planned to leave. This was a negotiated withdrawal. And he says, yes, maybe we could have done it better. Maybe it should have been a phased withdrawal. And in his statements yesterday, he said, you know, maybe we should have given it a month either beforehand or a month afterwards. He said it was always going to be heartbreaking. It was always going to be challenging. It was always going to be disturbing. He is at least amenable to being asked mm-hmm. the question and he gives an answer that is some in some way connected with the reality on the ground. And the Americans have uh, so far since last weekend, uh, they've evacuated, I think it's being reported that they've evacuated as many as 10,000 people, okay. which is an extraordinary achievement given that the airport is surrounded by the Taliban. So I'd be inclined to give um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris the benefit of the doubt. There's no doubt in my mind that they are better than the, the four years we had under Trump. Yeah, no, I think you're probably right there. I just, 
it's not great for him uh, the optics of it and I do think that if you're in America it's different like we don't really understand it but like if you've been going through 20 years where your soldiers like if the Irish army were losing as many soldiers as the American army has lost over 20 years we'd probably be like, all right, bring them back. We're done. It's not our job to stabilise a country that has, like, I was reading about it the other day, apparently no country has ever taken over Afghanistan. Like, back to Genghis Khan. Like, no one has ever succeeded in Mm. occupying it. Well, I think one of the things we've learned in, in the first two decades of the 21st century is that you can't impose solutions from outside the region. I think you know. You have the, to understand. I think. I think wh- whatever solution um, comes to pass in Afghanistan has to be internally driven, and I would hope that those young people, the, the younger generations, will 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 be hungry for uh, something different. I I really don't think that the Taliban's reign of terror it'll it'll last for a period of time, but it, it's unsustainable. You can't rule people by are uh, NATO by and fear the UN and, and all of them are they all still in there? Do we have Irish soldiers over there now? Not now. No, they they uh, the Irish involvement um, stopped in two thousand and sixteen. And so, who who's going to go in and help them? Well, one of the encouraging things is just the you know the huge diaspora we have of organisations like Médecins Sans Frontières, International Red Cross, uh, Red Crescent. There there are like hundreds of NGOs around the world that will continue their work in Afghanistan. The Taliban allow them the, the, there. Well, we don't know yet. Okay. Um, but w- in in time, if there is resistance from within uh, Afghanistan, these organisations are there to help and intervene and support them. I was wondering as well if like the huge um, developments that we've had in social media um, will help a little bit. Like because before we wouldn't have known like this huge this photographs, videos, live streams coming out of Afghanistan all of the time. That maybe that helps certainly for the news story not to die down as quickly as it might otherwise have. Yeah, I think that's that that's that's a very very powerful tool. Um, I mean, I remember when the the Berlin Wall came down. Yeah. And the Berlin Wall didn't come down because the you know the U.S. or British Army of the Rhine did something militarily to force it to happen. It happened because of television, yeah. essentially. And uh, people in East Germany and throughout Central Europe were able to, you know, see what was actually happening in the West by accessing their television channels. And I know that in East Germany, everybody watched Dallas and uh, what was the other one? Dynasty. Yeah. Now, they didn't see it as sort of a, a representation of what life in the West was like. They thought it was really funny. But there was a possibility. But they knew that what they were being told about life in the West was was Untrue. not entirely true. And the East German state was just unable to contain that groundswell of public opinion and people from Hungary, from the Czech, what used to be Czechoslovakia, from Slovakia and the Czech Republic, they just started to move and they crossed the borders and they sought asylum and, you know, they went around the wall and the wall came down. And I'm hoping that will be the case, you know, as we move forward. I think the the truth will out and it is very, very powerful when you hear women's voices, you know, giving the lie to what the Taliban are saying at their press conferences mm-hmm. and you know they're tweeting and they're on their all the different social media platforms telling the truth and showing it like it is. Do you think that the media in Ireland will get bored of this story and stop covering it? Well I think unfortunately you know the news agenda the news cycle has you know depending on the news eventually like the doll is going to be back in a few weeks. Yeah, and have. eventually it'll it'll be off the the news agenda. Like I mean, this this is my area, defence security, and 
uh, I haven't I haven't really had an opportunity to do anything in 18 months because it's been completely and utterly dominated by COVID. COVID yeah. So the story will move on. It'll be something else in a, in a couple of weeks time. But I think there's something I, I think in the coverage now there's there's a focus on the empowerment of women and girls and, and there are far more women's voices being heard. Um, I'm really delighted to hear that all of this week and last week more and more female voices um, experts in international relations, defence and security analysts who are women. I think it's time for people like me to just go away <laughs> and let, seriously, like for women um, to, to give their version of events because we, we've now had uh, two decades in this century of foreign policy dictated by predominantly white middle-aged men mm-hmm. and it, I, I call it the three A's. It's austerity, airstrikes and assholes like Donald Trump and has it made the world a better place? No, it's made the world a much worse place and I think for everything from climate change to sustainability of, of, of this planet this fragile planet and, and for things like conflict, women and girls have to take over and it's it's through the empowerment of women and girls that we're going to find the solutions for all these intractable problems. If, if we keep allowing men uh, you know, in these patriarchal systems to, to continue to interfere in this way you know it's it's just going to continue to deteriorate sometimes it's a question of how willing they are to hand over power but if the news cycle does does move off this and people want to hear more are you do you cover it on your twitter where can people find you or do you write for yeah so i'm i'm well i'm right right for the journal yeah and uh, yeah i'm always i i tweet up and uh, so i'm at i can't remember what my twitter name I'll is i'll check it right now <laughs> It's just Dr. Tom, at Tom Clonan, T-O-M-C-L-O-N-A-N. Yeah. And like I've been I've been writing about this uh, for 21 years and um, I've always tried to, because having been a, you know, a participant in conflict on the ground, I mean, when I was in Lebanon, what really sh- shocked me was just the suffering of uh, the ordinary people, uh, men, women and children. So we watched the news reporting because uh-huh. uh, 24-hour TV had just... Uh, 24 hour news had just started and it was always stories about you know F-16 fighter jets and helicopter gunships and you know big meetings between the Clinton administration and Hezbollah and the Israeli government and there were no pictures of the the, the suffering of the women and children and we spent weeks uh, helping to take the bodies of whole families out of houses little you know elderly grandparents little children infants and um, and when I came back from Lebanon, you know, I, I was at one of hundreds of Irish soldiers who were at the scene of the massacre in Kwana. <clears throat> and 24 hours later, I was walking up Grafton Street holding hands with my girlfriend. And I, I couldn't, I found it really hard to process that experience. Do you and get then, like psychological help for that from the Defence Forces? or do you have to Not from the Defence Forces, no. But um, And certainly not then, it was 20 right. years ago. Okay. But I lost a little girl, like seven years after that experience in Lebanon, we, lo- we lost a little girl, a little, little girl, Leiden. And when when we buried her up in, in the Little Angels plot in Glasnevin Cemetery, and I put her down into that hole in the ground. I mean, it's just such a... And all your hopes and dreams are in that little person. And the hardest thing was to turn around and walk away and leave her in the ground. And that was like a lightning bolt for me because that reconnected me to all those women and all those families that we saw in Lebanon that were absolutely heartbroken. 
and the pictures I see from Afghanistan and the women and the fear and they're trying to hand their babies over the barbed wire into the into complete strangers at the airport. Like that's the reality of international conflict. It's sordid. It's pointless. It's unnecessary. And it has been driven for decades and hundreds of years by men. And it's time for, I really think, for women to take over and for there to be an alternative to patriarchal systems. And I don't mean women who collaborate with and extend patriarchal discourses. I mean a radical departure. Otherwise, this planet and all of the people on board were in big trouble. Thank you so much. That's very, very powerful. Thank you for joining me. And... Thank you guys for listening. So if you want to find out more from Tom or you want to follow him, he writes for thejournal.ie frequently and you can find him at Tom Clonan. Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara and we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.